Amen, amen. Good morning. How's everybody? Good. You guys sound good this morning. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to the New Testament book of Acts. Acts chapter 4 is where we're going to be. Acts chapter 4 and 5, actually. And so you can go ahead and turn there. If you don't have a Bible, there are these Bibles that will be in the rows in front of you or in the seat in front of you. Uh, this is a hardback black Bible. If you don't own a Bible, you can take this Bible with you. And Acts chapter 4 and 5 is going to be on page 586 of this Bible. So you can go ahead and uh, turn there. It's also going to be on the screen for you uh, this morning as we read through this text. Can everybody hear me all right out there? Everybody good? Anybody struggling? Beyond, you're struggling to hear? Are, are you, okay. I thought you were being serious. Uh, yeah, if, if you are, just let me know. Um, so anyways, one, one of the good things about kind of preaching through a book of the Bible and what I've enjoyed about doing it is you, you, really, you really can't just kind of skip over uh, passages like the one that we're going to be looking at today. Uh, because normally I don't know that I would ever just land on Acts chapter 5 and talk about what we're going to talk about today, but as you walk through a book, you know, kind of chapter by chapter, kind of what we're doing, uh, you really can't avoid it. And, uh, and so th- this past week, in, in studying through this text, it was uh, very challenging. Uh, it's a difficult passage, as you're going to see here in just a moment. Um, and I'll just be honest with you, it was a very convicting uh, time for me this past week as I studied through it. And uh, I did a lot, of, a lot of time just reflecting in my own life. Uh, which is a good thing, and so I, I pray that, it, that that's the same thing it does for us today. So Acts chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 32, and we're going to read through five, chapter 5, verse 11. This is what it says. It says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who is also called Barnabas, uh, was a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Chapter 5, verse 1, But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira uh, sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said to Ananias, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose rose up and wrapped uh, him up and carried him out and buried him. And after an interval of about three hours, his wife came in not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. 
How would you like to have that job at the church, right? I mean, you, that, that'd be crazy. Immediately, she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who, and up, upon all who heard of these things. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you. Uh, we thank you for uh, your grace and mercy in our lives. We thank you for the opportunity to, to just sing songs of worship to you, God. And uh, we pray now as we come to, to, to study your words, as we continue to worship God, that your spirit would just continue to move. Um, God, I pray that uh, we, you know, whatever we came into this room with, uh, whatever preconceived uh, notions or ideas or whatever baggage we have, uh, God, whatever it is that is, is, is consuming our thoughts, I pray, Father, we would be able to just um, lay those down and just allow your spirit to move and to work. God, I pray that, that we would see uh, that as we exalt Jesus today, I pray that we would see uh, Jesus for who he is and what he has done, that we would see how beautiful he is in light of who we are and what we've done, and that we would see our need for Jesus. That's, that's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So it was the, the best of times, and it was the worst of times. Uh, anybody know what that line is from? Who wrote it? Good job, man. First service got it as well. You guys are spot on rocking it. Similarly, uh, Luke, who is the author of the book of Acts, uh, is giving us kind of a positive and a negative here in these verses. He's giving us two examples of what being a Christian means and, and what it doesn't mean. Uh, in, in this passage, Luke is showing us the danger of hypocrisy. And hypocrisy simply means that you claim to believe one thing with your mouth, but you live totally different with your life. Right? It'd be like saying, hey, I follow Jesus, but then you kind of go out and your life looks nothing like following Jesus. That would be hypocrisy. Uh, it, would be, it would be playing a religious game, right? That, that's the title of the sermon. You see that in your bulletin. Uh, it's the danger of playing religious games. And so what Luke is doing by showing, the, showing us this, this, po- this positive and negative example is he is uh, contrasting this passage and he is inviting us to not just imitate the faith, not to just say that you follow Jesus, but he is inviting us to, to practice the faith. And so what he does here is, is he shows us how we can guard against falling into hypocrisy. So I think, I think it's easy for us to do. I do think it's easy to happen. Uh, he, he's, he's, he's showing us how to guard against just kind of going through the motions and, and playing religious games. And, and we'll kind of flesh that out uh, a bit here in just a second. But I first want to look at the positive example because he does. He says, you know, it's the best of times, right? He gives us a positive example here uh, in in the first few verses that we read. And these verses actually mirror Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. We looked at that several weeks back. And so Luke is giving us uh, another snapshot picture of what a community looks like whose hearts have been radically changed and transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to point out, man, verse 33, because I think it's, a, it's a, an important verse. It says, with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. The reason I point that out is because last week, when we were talking, on, uh, looking at the, the early part of chapter 4, we noticed that the church, the apostles and the church got together and they prayed for what? Do you remember what they prayed for? Boldness. 
You guys were paying attention, man. Good work. They prayed for more boldness to speak the Word of God. And here, just a few verses later, we see that with great power, all right, they, they were uh, speaking of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What's mind-blowing to me, man, is that there wasn't a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of land or houses, they sold them, and they brought the proceeds and laid it at the apostles' feet. This is what's amazing about that, is, is that they weren't commanded to do this. Right? It wasn't like uh, the apostles got up and preached a sermon uh, on guilt and shame and said, hey man, you guys got all this money, you got, got all this land, and you got people over here that are without, you need to sell it. It wasn't any kind of, of guilt or shame, uh, but, but they were generous because of the gospel. Because the gospel was changing them from the inside out. I like what John Piper says uh, about this passage. He says the gospel had loosened their grip on their stuff and tightened their grip on each other. The gospel had so changed them that they were living with open hands, right? They realized that everything they had was from God and was a gift from God. And yet at the same time, it was tightening their grip on each other. They were living in community. They were, they were showing love towards each other because of what Jesus had done for us because of what Jesus had done for them. Philippians chapter 2 verse 6 says that though he, though Jesus was in the form of God, he did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. Right? He, he, he had this position in heaven. He was at the right hand of God. He had this glory, and yet he emptied himself. And he came to earth. He left heaven. He came to earth. He became a servant. And he died on the cross for our sins. Or how about 2 Corinthians 8 9? For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. You see, Jesus' hold on his position of glory at the right hand of God, loosened, and his, hand, uh, and, he, and, his, and his hand on us tightened because he couldn't hold on to both, and so he gladly left heaven, and he came to earth to rescue us. That's, that's the gospel good news. And that's what happened with these early believers, man. They, they, they recognized this, and he looked to the gospel, and the gospel changed them and transformed them. And then Luke gives, uh, in verse 36, he gives a name to this generosity, right? He's kind of been speaking in a general sense of the church, but now he mentions a man who is named, nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. And Barnabas is going to play a major role as we move through Acts. You're going to see that. But, but, but it says that, that Joseph, called Barnabas, um, sold land and he laid the money, the proceeds at the apostles' feet. I mean, things are going well, right? It's the best of times. But it was also the worst of times. Because as we move into chapter 5, Luke is now giving us the negative example. And we are introduced to a couple named Ananias and Sapphira. And the first thing that, that we see here uh, to guard against the danger of hypocrisy, to guard against the danger of playing spiritual games, is we see how easy it is to give the appearance of spirituality. I mean, listen, the appearance of spirituality permeates this whole passage of Scripture. I want you to notice the language that Luke uses uh, early on in chapter 5 to describe the giving of Ananias and Sapphira. It's chapter 5, verse 1. He says they sold a piece of property. 
chapter 5, verse 2, it says they laid it at the apostles' feet. It is the exact same language that he uses to describe Barnabas' giving two verses earlier. Barnabas sold a field, and he laid the proceeds at the apostles' feet. In other words, here's, here's what Luke is saying. Outwardly, their giving looked just like everyone else, but inwardly, their motives were impure. From outward appearances, it was nearly impossible to distinguish them from anyone else, right? I mean, they, they, they came in, they attended the temple worship with everybody else. They said amen during Peter's sermons, right? They, they volunteered in the worship band. As a matter of fact, they wrote their own song. There's a children's song about Ananias and Sapphira. They wrote it right before they died. Right, Charlie? Am I, am I right? What is that? Do you know? I try to get, you don't know it. I remember singing it. about, it, it, there's a song. You can look it up. Not right now. Not right now. But you can look it up. But so they were obviously a part of the worship band. Right? Outwardly, they, listen, outwardly they played these religious games. They were going through the motions. They, they were projecting themselves as better than what they were, right? They were, they were, they were creating this, this image that they were more mature than what they really were. But inwardly, listen, their hearts were far from God. Ananias and Sapphira learned a hard lesson that day, and that's this, that they may have been able to fool the people around them, but they could not fool God because God sees everything. God sees our hearts. Verse 3, Peter calls Ananias out. Right? He calls him right out on the table. He says, now, I don't know how Peter knew. Maybe he had the gift of discernment. Maybe the Holy Spirit kind of gave Peter some insight. But, but Peter asks, says, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And Peter goes on to say in verse 4, he says, listen, the land was yours to do what you wanted with it. This is proof that they weren't commanded to sell everything and give to, to those who were in need, right? Peter says, hey, man, the land was yours. You could have sold it. You could have kept the money. You could have kept the land. You could have, it was yours to do what you wanted with it. He says, why have you contrived this deed in your heart? And what's happening here is Ananias noticed Barnabas sold his land and gave the money to the apostles. And instead of seeing that example, instead of looking at that and saying, you know what, God, give me a heart that is generous. Give me a heart that can just walk with open hands with what you have given me. Instead, Ananias craved the applause of men and not of God. He sought the glory for himself rather than for the glory of God. See, according to the text, it says they schemed, he schemed with his wife. I mean, this, this was premeditated. This was a con. I mean, they, they were intentionally trying to give the appearance that they were giving all of this money when in reality they had kept back. And we're going to talk about that word here in just a minute, kept back. He says, why has Satan filled your heart? I, I imagine this is how it played out. And tell me, you guys, I think this is going to be familiar to us because I think this is how it plays out in our own life. Why has Satan filled your heart? Right? You have this, 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 this little voice, right, where Satan is kind of, uh, of kind of talking into our ear. And I think that what he said is, is hey, hey, Ananias, look, look at Barnabas, man. Look, look what he did there. I think you, 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 you carry that bag of money down to the front of the church, man. And by this time, the church was, had grown over 10,000 people. 
I mean, so there would have been a lot of people there. Obviously not all of them, but there would have been a lot of people there. And Satan's like, man, can you imagine the praise that you're going to get? Can you imagine? People are going to look at you and say, man, look at Ananias. Wow. Right? They're going to pat you on the back. And Satan is filling his heart with those things. Right, James? I thought of James uh, chapter 1, uh, verses 14 and 15. Listen to this. This is what James writes. He says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. What was Ananias' desires? The applause of people. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. What was the sin? He lied. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. That, that's, that's what happens here. You see, lying was just a symptom of a deeper issue that was in their hearts. And so often what we like to do, man, is we like to just address the symptoms, right? We, we look at the external behaviors. We look at lying. And, and rather than addressing the heart issue, we, we just focus on the externals. We, what we do is we reduce sin to kind of this, this manageable category, like lying, and, and we think we can just kind of tame our sin. We can just kind of keep it at bay. You know, we just try not to lie, you know. But the problem is we're tempted to do outward things apart from inward transformation. Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart for everything flows from it. Jesus would say the same thing in the New Testament. God knows our hearts. God wants our hearts. He wants to change and transform our hearts. And as difficult as it may be, we have to be willing to continually look beneath the surface and look at the sins of our hearts. We have to ask our question. We have to ask the hard questions. Why am I doing the thing? Why am I lying? For, for Ananias, it was because he wanted the applause of people. He wanted to look good for, in front of other people. He wanted to seek praise for himself. I, I know for myself, man, I've shared this with you guys, man, I've, I've, I've struggled uh, in my life for uh, receiving the, the, the pr- uh, not the praise, but the love and acceptance from other people. Yeah, I wanted people to lie. I, wanted to, I was a people pleaser. I wanted people to like me, so I had a hard time saying no to people. And I struggled with that for so long, man. And it wasn't until I was sitting in front of my, my counselor who, uh, who really just, I love my counselor. She's awesome. And she just pretty much gut punched me. <laughs> you know, this has been several years ago now. But, but she, she just said, man, you're, you're seeking love and acceptance and uh, self-worth and self-value from other people. And the sad thing is, is that I already had love and acceptance and self-worth and self-value from the king of the universe. And it was hard for me to, to, to kind of go to the root problem of that and see that because it was affecting my, 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 my family. I mean, I was, I was saying no to my family because I was saying yes to everybody else because I wanted people to like me. And that is not a good thing. And so we've got to be willing, man, to do the hard work. As ugly as it may be, we have to address the sins in our heart. And this is why, because God takes sin seriously. Our, our God is a holy and righteous God. And the question we must ask ourselves, if we're going to guard against falling into hypocrisy or just playing religious games, is do we take the holiness of God serious? And I ask that question because, listen, it would be very easy for us to scratch our head on this. This is why this, this passage is so tough. I mean, I, 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 I kept looking for, like, what, what, loopholes or something. I don't know. But, but it would be easy for us to scratch our head and say, man, it was just a lie. 
Right? It, it was just a lie. And, and, and the disturbing part of all this is that these sins are common to all of us. I mean, it's not like Ananias and Sapphira brought this golden calf into the middle of the temple and bowed down and started worshiping it. Right? I mean, if that happened, we can understand, yeah, God struck him dead. But, I mean, lying? And I think what we learn here, man, is that all sin, no matter how big or small, because, you know, we like to categorize sins. You know, we look at people with big sins. Well, I'm not as bad as that person. And listen, sin is sin is sin to God. doesn't matter if it's a lot. doesn't matter if it's a murder. It doesn't matter. Because all sin is rebellion against a holy and righteous God. God's holiness is serious business. Yeah, I want to go back. I said I would point this, this uh, phrase out, kept back. Because I think it's an important phrase. But in verse 2, that, that, that verb, kept back, it, it describes the dishonesty that, that Ananias and Sapphira had, the secret that they had. But, but it describes Ananias' actions because it's, it's the exact same verb. Check this out. It's the exact same phrase and verb that's used in what I think is a parallel story in the Old Testament book of Joshua, chapter 7, of a man named Achan. Now, you may not be familiar with Joshua, you may not be familiar with Achan, and that's fine. But, but the, 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 the short and quick of it is this. The Israelites, which were God's chosen people, were about to enter into Jericho to inherit the promised land, this land that God had given them. And God gave the Israelites, this piece of, these are specific instructions. When you go into Jericho, this is what you are to do with all of the spoils and all of the riches. He gave them the specific instructions. So they're like, okay, that's cool, that's cool. So they, they, they go to Jericho, they march around the city, the walls come tumbling down, and they have a swift, quick victory, all is well. And so Achan is with his other Israelite friends, and they're going through, and they're gathering up all the spoils and riches to do what God had told them to do. But then all of a sudden, Achan looks down, and he sees something that catches his, catches his eye, and he's like, man, that's, that's, that's kind of nice. And in his mind, he's thinking, you know, I know God said to do this with it, but if I just put this in my pocket, nobody's going to know. And that phrase, that same verb is usually kept back. Because what Achan does is he takes it to his tent and he hides it underneath his floor. And the other thing to, to think about here, right, again, Achan, you could not distinguish him from any other Israelite soldier. He looked the same, right, from the outside. Like, but, 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 but he had something hiding in his tent that he thought nobody would know about. And it's the exact same verb that's used there. He kept back. Right? No one will ever know. And, and here's the reality, man. You, you may be here and you may be thinking, you know what? I've got this sin in my life, but, but nobody really knows about it. It's just between, it's just me, you know? No, nobody knows. But, but God knows. And eventually, the Scripture says, everything is going to be brought to light. Well, the next battle in Joshua chapter 7 is, is against this rinky-dink town called Ai. Right? I mean, compared to Jericho, it was a cakewalk. And so Joshua actually sends his B team, he sends his JV squad. He says, you guys go in and take Ai because this is going to be a cakewalk. They go in, they get routed. Everybody's like, what the mess is going on here, you know? And, and Joshua tears his clothes, he falls down before the Lord. He's like, what's happening? And God says, man, there's sin in the camp. And so they go through this long process to try to, to figure out who it is, and Achan is brought forth, and sure enough, Achan takes him to his tent, they pull back the floor, and there's the things. He had kept back dishonesty. And the same thing, and, and, and Achan is, is put to death. 
And, and, and the same thing that happens to Achan is the same thing that happens to Ananias and Sapphira. They, they did not treat God as holy. They were dishonest. They lied. They showed contempt for the holiness of God. Do we treat God as holy? We have to ask ourselves that question. In his book, uh, R.C. Sproul writes, he writes about the holiness of God. He says, God is indeed long-suffering, patient, and slow to anger. In fact, he is so slow to anger that when his anger does erupt, we are shocked and offended by it. We forget rather quickly that God's patience is designed to lead us to repentance, to give us time to be redeemed. Instead of taking advantage of his patience by coming humbly for his forgiveness, we use this grace as an opportunity to become bolder in our sin. Man, isn't that true, right? We sin, well, you know, I'm forgiven, I got grace, I'm forgiven. And so we become bolder and bolder and bolder. We delude ourselves into thinking that either God doesn't care about it or that he is powerless to punish us. And the supreme folly is that we think we will get away with our revolt. In other words, I think it's easy for us to just get comfortable in our relationship, right? It's easy for us to just kind of get comfortable, that we just kind of go through the motions, we, we come to church, you know, week in and week out, uh, but, 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 but we really don't think about the holiness of God. We, we're kind of passive about our sins in our life. We, we know we've got sin over here, but we're not really doing anything to kind of put it to death, you know, we just kind of let it lie there. Sometimes we'll go over and pet it, you know, but that's the way it is. But we're very passive about our sin because we've gotten comfortable. Right? I mean, think about it with, with, with a marriage relationship or a dating relationship, right? When you start out dating someone or you get married, right, you're on your best behavior, are you not? Like you're trying to make a good impression and you're, you're keeping this up for as long as you possibly can. But eventually you get comfortable, right? You, you, you relax a little bit. And then you start to leave shoes at the front door. And your wife gets on you and says, please do not leave shoes at the front door. And so you work hard at it again and you pick your shoes up and you do it for about a month. And then next thing you know, you get comfortable and you leave your shoes at the door. That's our example, by the way. That's, what, that, that's, that's, that's exactly what happens, happened to us, right? Or, or, or with our kids, right? With our kids, you know, you start out disciplining them. You start out, you know, hey, you know, correcting them when they're, when they're, when they're out of line. And, but before long, we just kind of get comfortable, right? And then, and then they start pushing the limits more and more. And then uh, we get more and more relaxed. And before we know it, right, our kids are out of control. And we're like, what happened here? Telling is easy for us to take our sin lightly because of God's grace. I mean, it, God's grace is, is awesome. It's amazing. But we can't abuse it. We can't just, it can't be a license for sin. It's easy for us, again, to become passive about our sin, but God's holiness is not negotiable, right? All we have to do, if we want to see how sin is, is how God's serious about our sin, all we got to do is look at Jesus on the cross. Romans 3, 24 and 25 tells us that on the cross, Jesus was vindicating God's holiness. Listen, in the Old Testament, God, God did not just let go of those sins in the Old Testament. Jesus was on the cross. He was vindicating all sins, past, present, future. Right? I mean, Jesus on the cross was our substitute. We were the ones who were supposed to be paying for our sins, but Jesus was in our place. He, he died on the cross. God pours out his righteous wrath on to Jesus. I mean, praise God for Jesus because he has made a way for us to be reconciled to God. 
And, and this is what I want to encourage you to, to do is, is to really constantly just be reminded. I, I tell us all the time, man, you've got to preach the gospel to yourself every day. And this is what I mean. We've got to be reminded that if you're here and you've put your trust and faith in Jesus for salvation, then you are justified. Now, you're justified just as if you had never done it, right? You, your sins are forgiven. Jesus paid it in full. You have been pardoned. And so what that means is, is you are positionally holy before God. You know what I mean by that? Like, like, as soon as you put your faith and trust in Jesus, His righteousness, His perfect life is given to you. So when you stand before God, God doesn't see sinful Aaron, but He sees the blameless, spotless Jesus. Amen, right? That's good. So we're positionally holy at the moment of salvation, justified, just like that. But, but here's the thing, man. God wants more for us than just positional holiness. He wants more for us than that. He wants to continue to change us and transform us in, into the image of Jesus and to grow. The Holy Spirit is, wor- is at work inside of us doing, doing this work of, a work of sanctification. And so what this means is, is that in our truest position, in our truest identity, we are completely and finally dead to sin, both its guilt and its power. And that is huge. Like, like this is the foundation for how we fight against sin and pursue holiness, right? That this is what we look to. We look to the cross of Jesus. We see the holiness of God. We see what he did to his own son on the cross because of our sin. And this is how we fight against sin in our life. This is how we pursue holiness because of who we are. We are positionally holy. We are children of God. We have been redeemed, Right? Like all throughout Scripture, you'll see, man, that there's these, these, the, 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 anytime they, they give a command to live a life worthy of, you can always back it up and see that it's because of what the gospel, right? This is the gospel. This is the good news. In light of this, live like this. Pursue holiness because of the cross, because you have been redeemed, because you've been rescued, because you have been purchased by the blood of Jesus. Look to that. And now live this way. Rob, Rob and my wife sent me a text this morning. We were talking about this last night. And she said, uh, she said, you know, talking about the holiness of God and how we are holy. And she says, you know, what other religion tells you to be holy, right? That's what the Bible says, be holy as I am holy. What other religion tells you to be holy but then does all the work for you to be holy? We didn't do anything. We just trusted in Jesus. Jesus did the work. So when you think about that, man, that we are, we are children of God, we've been redeemed, that, 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 that's, what our, that's how we fight against sin and pursue holiness. Now, we'll never be perfect on this side of heaven, but, man, we make, we make imperfect progress, right? And God is holy, and we must regard Him as holy. That's, that's how we guard against this hypocrisy of playing religious games. We, we, we see that God is holy. Finally, if we're going to guard against hypocrisy and playing religious games, we need to be uh, we need to have a, a healthy and appropriate fear of the Lord. Now, fear and the holiness of God really kind of go together here. But I want you to notice in verse 5 and 11, it says that great fear came upon all of them, right? I would imagine so, right? Two people would leave church that day in a body bag. Fear is going to come over people, right? Well, that would be a little, little scary. But, but here's the thing. We need to understand that this wasn't a type of fear where you go running scared and you're hiding in a corner, 
But this fear that is described here is more of a, a reverent awe type of submission fear. Right? It's, it's, it's a reverent awe for who God is. It is a reverence of, for the holiness of God. Right? You see the holiness of God. You see what he has done for us through Jesus Christ. And you see who Jesus is in light of who we are. That's this type of this, this awe this, this, that God is so awesome and magnificent and glorious that you're just in awe. And so you are just, man, like this is, this is amazing. And so true love for God grows out of the fear of God. John Newton, uh, I think he says it best in his song, Amazing Grace. If you grew up in church, you probably have sung this song a bazillion times. And I think verse 2 is probably one of uh, the best verses. I mean, it's all great. But, but listen to what he says in verse 2 of that song. He says, he says, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed.'" You want to know why the grace was so precious to John Newton? Because the fear was real. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. See, if we don't see ourselves as a wretch before God, if we don't see ourselves for who we are in light of his holiness, then his grace is not going to be amazing. Do you see that? It's grace that teaches your heart to fear, and then grace, my fears, relieved. It's understanding that, that when you see a holy, righteous God, and, 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 that, 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 that He is the one who, who, who said, I love you first. That, 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 that you see the one who, who sent His Son to die on the cross for you, that we are called children of God. And having that type of fear draws us closer to God. It causes us to submit gladly to His Lordship and delight in His obedience. Amen? So, notice the result down in verse 14. Now, we didn't read verse 14, but I think this is awesome. Yeah, you, know, you want to talk about uh, growing the church, have a healthy fear of the Lord. Verse 14, is, it says, and more than ever, more than ever, believers were added to the Lord multitudes of both men and women. I think it's because they had a healthy fear of, the, of, of God. They didn't see God's holiness as negotiable. They had this healthy fear, and the Lord added to their numbers multitudes. Here's the thing for us this morning. I, I don't know where you're at. I know for me, man, this past week, this was a gut punch. I know for me, man, I was sitting at my desk on Tuesday, and I was just convicted. And I don't know where you're at. Maybe you are just on top of it, man, and you are just walking closely with the Lord, and you don't ever get comfortable, and you're just knocking out of the park. And if that's you, then come see me, because I'd like for you to teach a class, okay? But, but if you're here, man, and you, you recognize that you struggle with this, that that sometimes we forget about the holiness of God. We don't think about it. We, we, we're kind of passive about our sin, and we don't even really want to dig around in our heart to kind of reveal those sins. And when we struggle, or maybe we come into this, this, this place week in and week out, and we, we wear our masks, you know, we, we wear uh, this, this face that says everything's okay. 
And we've got to just be able to create a space in here. I'm stealing a phrase, but it's it, where it's okay to not be okay. I mean, we're, we, we're all broken. We all need Jesus. And so, man, if you're here this morning and you recognize this in, in your own life, in your own self, that you've been playing religious games, then there is nothing more beautiful than confession. <laughs> you know, God is patient. He is long-suffering, man. He, he wants everyone to come to repentance. And, and 1 John 1, 9 says, man, if we confess our sins, he is faithful. He will forgive. And say, so, man, if that's you, if you just need to confess sins, if you can confess sin right there to your chair, you want to come down to the cross, you want us to pray with you, that's fine. But just confess to God. If you're here this morning and you want to know more about what it means to put your faith and trust in Jesus, for salvation, I would love to chat with you. I'll be up front here after uh, when we sing this song. Or if you just need prayer, man, and encouragement, we have prayer team members here. They would love to pray with you and encourage you this morning. And so, man, as we uh, pray and sing this song, would you please respond in one of those three ways? Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for uh, this grace. God, I pray that as we <clears throat> spend time just reflecting, not just now, but God, I pray that we would continue to <clears throat> just reflect on our own life. God, that you would just uh, convict us when we need to be convicted. God, help us to see that, that, that you are holy. Help us to see ourselves in light of that and our sin and to not just be passive about it. Father, we, we thank you for Jesus. We pray these things in His name. Amen.